Hi, everybody. My name is Dr. Kevin B. Heather. Many of my colleagues know me as the Rock Doctor, and I'm the Chief Geological Officer of Aldebaran Resources, an exploration company focused on exploration for large copper gold porphyry systems in Argentina. And today I'd like to discuss a little bit about our very, very exciting project in San Juan province uh, in the western part of Argentina called the Altar Project. Kevin, uh, thank you for the introduction. Good to be talking to you again. Uh, we haven't spoken over the camera, but um, I've known you for a few years. I've met you uh, socially and at PDAC and I think in a, in a, um, a dodgy bar once um, late at night. I'm sure you can remember all about that evening. Oh, yes, of course. But there's been lots of those kinds of evenings. Um, but not many um not many big porphyry discoveries in the last uh, few years i mean if you look at the exploration track record of the copper industry i mean everyone is talking about the the demand to bring big projects into production the the electrification the energy transition is going to need a lot more new copper but there haven't been a lot of big discoveries but this one isn't so much a fresh discovery as a kind of um, a retread um, but perhaps I mean, your comments. Yeah, just a little bit of background, a little bit of background about us as a group and a company, because I think it's important in relation to the question that you've just posed, is we're a group that since 2004 have been focused on trying to find large copper, copper gold systems that would be amenable to some major company eventually buying uh, out. And we successfully... Uh, executed that business plan with our first junior called Antares Minerals, uh, which we've discovered a large porphyry in Peru, and then uh, sold that to First Quantum Minerals in 2010. And then we spun out two other companies, Regulus Resources, with another big copper gold system in northern Peru, and Aldebaran Resources, which we're talking about here today. And so I think it's important that people understand that that's our kind of business model, we're not grassroots explorers. And so we're, we're actually focused on trying to find projects that people may, for whatever reason, have not recognized their full potential or that the market fields have fatal flaws or that perhaps are in jurisdictions that people don't want to necessarily go to. And we look at those projects and evaluate are, are those projects really what people think they are? And we kind of pride ourselves a little bit on being a very technical group, both John Block, the CEO, and myself, co-founders of the, of the company, um, uh, are both exploration geos by training, lots of experience in South America. And oh, I think we try to parlay all of that experience and knowledge in trying to identify these projects. And I think we've been very successful in doing so. Altar, the project in Argentina, uh, already had a very large resource when we took it on. It had a little over 120,000 meters of drilling done on it. And um, the resource of at the time when we took it over, it was like something like 2.4 billion tons of sort of 0.3 copper and 0.08 gold. Um, we subsequently... Uh, Put out a more updated resource, which where we, we reduced the tonnage to roughly in the range of 1.2 to 1.4 billion tons of sort of 0.5 copper equivalent. So a little bit lower tonnage, but the grade has come up. But it's a very large resource to begin with. And what we saw was is that perhaps 
there was actually room for a lot more expansion of that resource and that this could truly be one of the big giants and we're in the giants neighborhood we've got Los Palombres of Atafagasta minerals literally 25 kilometers south of us on the Chilean side of the border um, that's a monster multi-billion ton ore body that's currently in production just across the border from that uh, again 25 kilometers south of us in the Argentinian side is Glencore's El Pachon copper porphyry system another multi-billion ton ore body that's currently uh, in in uh, the um, the feasibility stage and then 20 25 say maybe 45 kilometers north of us is McEwen Copper's Los Azules project uh, which is also another very large uh, copper uh, porphyry project so we're, we're in elephant country and this is a real part of Argentina that's really been uh, I mean it's been known for a long time but you know for all of the political issues and economic issues that Argentina's gone through over the last uh, many years, uh, people have kind of, you know, been afraid to kind of go in there. But we've been in Argentina for more than 20 years. We know how the country works. We know the, the, the ups and downs. And so we're very comfortable working there. And the, the prize, and I think this is the important part of the, of the equation, is the prize warrants the effort to try to... Uh, to try to develop this and you can see that other companies are like thinking i mean you've got to the north of us at, at philo del sol with uh, uh philo mining and you know uh, bhp just did a hundred million dollar um inversion or or, or, or 100 million dollars into that project so you know you see that there's there's a lot of activity in san juan province i would say that right now it's probably the hottest copper exploration location on the planet um thank you there's a, a lot to unpack there uh going back to uh when a comment you made earlier which was that the um you took this very large resource that pre-existed there you focused in on um 1.2 1.4 billion tons on a at a higher grade um and you reached a conclusion which is a kind of a crucial staging point for exploration and development companies, which is either to really invest in taking the resource that you've got to the kind of advancing that towards development, advancing that towards a, um, a production decision, um, or reassessing the geology and continuing to focus on growth and that kind of expansion drilling so it's kind of almost inward looking and de-risking versus the outward looking and the um yeah and the in the expansion and you've you've i mean we're going to be talking about your drilling program you're very much focused on um on growth and that expansion what was the what were the indicators that took you to say hang on we this could potentially be offer us more but we're going to get greater bang for our buck by continuing the exploration push rather than the de-risking kind of effort. Well, just a little bit um, on on that uh, that question. I mean, it's not like we're not de-risking, and we are looking at constantly looking at how we move the project forward in a more traditional. How do we get this along the chain towards eventual production? We're not obviously a company that's uh, going to build a, a big porphyry copper thing so what our niche is is to recognize how we can add value to the asset that then will potentially entice a major 
mining company to come in and potentially uh, take us out. And so that that's the kind of business model. And and so to get to your, your directly to your question, I mean, when we were doing the due diligence, luckily uh, the previous operators, which were many over the years, um, kept all of the core in good standing. And like I mentioned there at the time when we took over the project in 2018, there was roughly 120,000 meters of, of drilling. So at today's cost, that that would cost you in the, you know several millions and millions of dollars to 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 replicate that that information. So you know for the investors, what I would say to them is that you know drilling is the most important thing that we do as an exploration company, but it's also the most expensive thing we do, and therefore the drill core is something that we need to take care of and make sure that it's there for future people to to look at like we had the opportunity to do but also we're a company that really values rocks and geology and we felt when we started looking at the core that there was a lot of indicators in there that we felt that the previous operators hadn't recognized and and they've signaled to us that there was something much more interesting and potentially much bigger going on there. And that was what really predicated us into, you know, taking over and uh, getting into the project to begin with. And so things like, for example, we recognized that there were uh, a lot of very complex overprinting relationships of alteration and mineralization that couldn't adequately be described through a simple, single mineralizing porphyry system. And so we quickly recognized that this is not just a porphyry, it's actually a district or cluster of porphyries, and that within every one of the porphyry centers, there's multiple pulses of mineralization. So you can imagine that creates a lot of overprinting, overlapping, and can create a very complex um, interference pattern, so to speak. And so we spent a lot of time and effort, really the first two years we had the project of not drilling very much and really trying to extract as much information out of that valuable core, which is really, it's quite interesting because in Spanish, drill core, they call it testigo. And the witness. translation of testigo is witness. And we as exploration geologists are like detectives and so we're interrogating the witnesses to find out who done it. And in this case, where is the big... So that's kind of like where, where we were at. And we did a lot of further work in terms of geophysical work, geochemical work. And all of that work just further corrob corroborated our original idea uh, to the point where we felt we had a very, very robust drill-ready target. And we started drilling that late last year and now drilling this year. And we've been getting some very, I think, spectacular uh, results uh, on drilling that conceptual idea. So it's, it's, it's a uh, proof of concept. And, um, you know, the, it, I think it's going to radically change the, the dynamic of the project. Thank you. Yeah, that, what a good answer. I mean... Um... Testigo, the you know the witness, really really nice analogy. Um, what's what's the mineralogy like? Because if you've got all of this kind of polyphase, if you've got this multi-phase um, systems, you know, does it 
create challenges metallurgically. I mean, there's, I seem to recall there's quite a lot of arsenopyrite in the system as well. I mean, uh, have you done petrographic studies? Yeah, there's been a, there's, we've done a fair bit of work on the mineralogy. There's no arsenopyrite. Um, no, I remember that, yes. Yeah, there is energite, okay? Yeah, yeah um, that's the one. And so, and so basically the, the dominant mineralogy for copper minerals is calcopyrite in the hypogene or the, the primary uh, part of the deposit. There is a uh, secondary uh, supergene enrichment deposit as well, and that's dominated by calcasite, which is another copper sulfide mineral. And for investors that might not know, it's really important to understand the differences in these, these minerals because, as you mentioned, they have different metallurgical characteristics, but they also have very different copper contents. And so, for instance, calcopyrite has 33% copper in its crystal structure, whereas calcasite has 82. And so, you know, you don't need as much calcasite to get pretty good grade. And, and so that's why seeing these kinds of minerals is important. And energite's a mineral that's, although it's got arsenic in it, also has 45% copper in its crystal structure. So it's still a major contributor. And fortunately for us, and this was one of the perceived fatal flaws of the project before we took it on, was people said, well, it's way too much arsenic. Well, yes, there is arsenic, but a large proportion of the arsenic resides either up in the leach cap. And so for people that might not know what leach cap is, that's the part of the rock that's undergone oxidation and all of the copper has been stripped out because of that oxidation. And so, but the arsenic stays behind there as an, an arsenic oxide called scorodite. So there's a lot of arsenic up there. And then there's also uh, a lot of arsenic sitting in the uh, supergene enrichment blanket. And again, if one were to treat that supergene mineralization in a more traditional SXEW um, a heap leach type scenario, then that rock wouldn't go to a concentrator and therefore that arsenic wouldn't end up in a concentrator. It'll potentially go to the, the leach pad. And again, because of the leaching process to get the copper, that arsenic will be converted to scorodite. So, scorodite. Um, and so the other thing that was very important, again, about the arsenic, it's something that we don't hide. That we know that there's other projects around that do have arsenic issues and they choose not to talk about it. We tend to wear it uh, on our sleeve and I'll give you the reason why. First, I think it's important that a company is very transparent on what they have. And we also don't think arsenic today as as big a problem as it may have been uh, five or 10 years ago. Uh, we don't have time to get into all of that today when the interview, but uh, we're very confident that arsenic is not the issue that most people think it is. And so therefore, we're quite confident moving forward. And then the other thing about Altar that was quite interesting is when we came in, there was very little geological control when they did their resource modeling. And so what that meant was is that arsenic was sort of getting blown out all over the deposit because they had no kind of geologic constraint. So one of the first things we did was do very detailed relogging and try to characterize where the high arsenic zones were. And then based on our structural analysis of, of the deposit plus the uh, more regional area around, 
try to put those arsenic um, structures into a you know into a reasonable three-dimensional framework. And by doing that, we were able to almost half the amount of arsenic in the updated resource we did, just because we were constraining it and it, with geological reasonable uh, modeling, and 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 basically changed the the tenor of the of the arsenic because we were blowing it out all over the place it's kind of um uh, I, I don't say geometallurgy but almost like geomineralogy you 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 understand the the way that the minerals are preferentially hosted in certain pulses or certain rock types and of course you've got the overprint of weathering as well as an alteration but um it's understanding the the various geometries and the chemistries and the geology it's it's kind of a, a key part in unlocking it yes yeah, and it, you touched on a you touched on an important thing, and it's something that we strive for, and um, is uh, basically the the one of the end goals from the technical side of things here is to basically produce a geometallurgical model, okay, which is which is really trying to incorporate not just the assay data and a traditional block model with geology but also trying to incorporate mineralogy. And importantly, not just the sulfide uh, mineralogy that might host the copper that we're interested in, but also the gang mineralogy. And in many cases, it's the gang mineralogy, so the mineralogy that's not carrying the minerals that don't have anything to do with carrying copper, but they can cause us problems depending on which metallurgical uh, pathway we choose, and here at Altar, fortunately, we have uh, we ha we have various options going forward. And what we found in terms of metallurgical processing, and what we noticed is there's there was a fair bit of historic metallurgy done on the project, um, with typical results that one would expect from a from a porphyry copper deposit like this. So not out of line with what other deposits uh, results would be. But what we noticed is, is that because there wasn't very good geologic control, we started to question just how well the sample selection sites were and were they truly representative of the ore body. So you can imagine if I just go and collect all the bits that maybe because it's high grade and we and I get to metallurgical test work on those and it comes back comes back great but maybe that mineralization only represents five percent of the overall ore body therefore I've heavily biased my metallurgy to a, a, a subset that's not going to make a significant impact on the over overall global uh, deposit when we go to development and so having this kind of information and that's why on some of our other projects and we plan to start to do it here at altar as well we're incorporating hyperspectral core scanning because that really does allow us to uh, see some of these gang minerals and especially the gang minerals that potentially can cause issues or not necessarily issues but things that we need to be aware of when we're interpreting our metallurgical uh, results. And so we're hoping to do um, get that rolling here probably towards the end of this year, but it all depends on getting a, a, a scanning lab, et cetera, et cetera. But we've done a similar thing in our project in Peru, and um, it's been very, very useful. And, 
And just to, to finish on that topic of, of the of the geometallurgical, I know I'm kind of rambling a bit, but it, it's really important that investors understand this stuff is that a geometallurgical model is really important. And you want to know what the ore body looks like, and we call it ore body characterization. You want to know that as early as possible, because you got to remember, we've got large companies that are potentially interested in acquiring us and our project and the more confidence they have that the project has pathway forward either on metallurgy on environment on permitting on water whatever it is the more comfort we can bring to them that's the de-risking yeah. part so that's why i said to you earlier we are doing things that are de-risking the project to move it forward um and because we've done this process before this isn't our first rodeo um you know we know what big companies and both john and i come from big company backgrounds so we understand what they look for and so we we try to put ourselves in their shoes and and try to you know make sure that we're trying to deliver a project that's going to be the you know the prettiest person at the ball so. um, again kevin thank you for the answer and again lots to unpack um <laughs> I don't um, ask. A, You're gonna have a lot of homework today. Yeah, well, um, I don't ask about geometa um, geometallurgy in a, in a vacuum. You know, I know how important it is. Um, you'd be surprised how many companies I interview that don't talk about it, and um, I get a kind of a blank look when I ask the question. Um, so it's it's good to see and hear that you're kind of on that. Um, it is absolutely crucial. It's one of my kind of bugbears is is representativity of um, the sampling process and understanding of um, the metallurgical response in scheduling. I mean, it's so many companies um, uh, for, in, the, in the build phase, when, they, when they're still doing metallurgical test work, that's when you get change of scope, that's when you get um, budget blowouts, uh, this is when you get uh, poor metallurgical performance in the ramp up once construction is completed. You know, it's absolutely crucial. And, and yes, the, the majors do, do look at it. So thank you for uh, covering that. In terms of your your drilling, um, what you're doing at the moment? Oh, I know what I want to say. Um, on on the course on the core scanning. I think when I spoke to you last time, um, when I saw you in Toronto, you were telling me about. It must have been a couple of years ago now about the about the core scanning and the hyperspectral work that you're doing. And you said that these are kind of expensive bits of kit, but they really get so much more information out of it. Um, just a little bit more on that, please. That'd be really. Yeah, it's. It, I, I can briefly. Well, I can just give you a. I mean, there's various systems out there, so I'm not going to promote one or the other. I mean, we are using CoreScan out of Australia, who were actually just recently uh, purchased by EpiRock. Um, but uh, their system is a shortwave infrared, so it's a specific spectrum that picks up very well minerals like clay minerals, micas, a whole suite of minerals, but. Uh, these are the kinds of minerals that are potentially uh, problematic. So I'll give you an example from where we've done extensive work on our sister company in uh, the project in northern Peru. We identified that the upper part of the ore body has quite a bit of porophyllite, um, and that comes out very well in the core scanning. And so we were able to build a three-dimensional model of the porophyllite distribution and put that against where the, uh, the various ore blocks are and almost start to assign a, a, a porophyllite uh, value to the, to the ore blocks. 
And by doing that, we recognized when we started doing some of the metallurgical test work that pyrophyllite was causing an issue okay. with copper recovery. But it was a but it was a problem that was easily solved by adding a little bit more dextrin to the float cells. And but knowing how much pyrophyllite, where it is, when you're going to encounter it in the mining sequence, you can then make sure that the that the 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 uh the plant knows that this stuff's coming in advance so they can they can ramp up and tool their their process to to expect to see it and and try to keep the so that's where the value of it is it's very early on it also helps us from an exploration point of view but quite frankly uh that's not the reason why we ended up doing it we thought that this was going to be a very very uh value additive uh data set that was going to allow us to build that geometallurgical model and and major companies would look at this and be able to really get their heads wrapped around um you know what what the what the test results mean from the metallurgy and how how that impacts the, what processing options there are moving forward on the project thank you yeah that's a beautiful case example of what i was what i was referring to was how um you know um understanding the makeup of your deposit can affect your mineralogy or your metallurgical recoveries. Um, but of course, it'll help your exploration as well, because if you get a full suite chemistry from your from your core box while you're scanning the core, it'll give you information on the on the background minerals in, in your core. So it'll inform your exploration process going forward. But we must talk about the uh, the ongoing drilling program at the moment because we're going to yeah, run we'll out get, of time otherwise. Let's, yeah, let's um, get to it. So... Um, <clears throat> You, you're doing these deep holes at the moment. You've reported holes uh, 222 and 223, and you've got uh, you've just announced that you're adding a fourth rig. Um, so you'll pre presumably soon have four holes in in uh, uh, ongoing. Um, you're you're kind of from the maps. I can see that you're kind of in between the Altar Central and Altar East, and you're kind of drilling down to depth into the heart of the geophysical anomaly. Correct. Yeah. So so. It's been very difficult to get drill rigs in San Juan province. Right now, there's more than 60 drill rigs turning in the province. Like I said, it's probably the hottest spot for copper exploration on the planet right now. Uh, and apart from trying to get drill rigs, it's almost impossible to get qualified drillers and drill assistants. And so, um, you know, we, we, we started the campaign with three rigs. And we're adding a fourth one now. We just exercised a bunch of early war uh, early exercise of some warrants to bring in more cash. Um, we are potentially also um, looking to see if there's additional rigs, but we're, the field season in this part of the Andes is uh, typically from uh, mid-October to the end of May, and then we get uh, we get snowed out. Uh, for the for the rest of the three month four month period there, so we've only got a really a couple months left of of good drilling. Um, we'll push it as far as we can, and so yes, we've got four. We will have starting next week sometime. We'll have the fourth rig on site, and so we'll have four holes going. And as you mentioned, the focus right now is following up on that geological conceptual idea that we had in 2018, which was that we thought there might be something much bigger lurking in between the known porphyry centers at Altar Central and Altar East. Uh, we did that geophysics. It was a 3D 
IP, which is induced polarization and magnetotelluric's MT survey. It's very important for investors to understand that these are both fairly deep looking geophysical surveys. One is invasive in that we're putting electrical current into the ground, that's the IP. And then we have MT, which is a passive technique where we're actually measuring the electrical uh, uh, waves being conducted through the Earth's surface from lightning strikes all around the world. And they're both independent, but measuring the same uh, properties in the rock mass. And why I explain that is that we, this large geophysical anomaly that we were able to define, which is two to three kilometers long by a couple of kilometers wide by a couple of kilometers deep, shows up in both of those independent surveys. So that's um, a way to confirm and get better, um, you, you feel more confident when you've got two independent methods basically giving you the same answer. And so we're drilled a little 223, drilled into that anomaly, um, and that hit over a kilometer of close to point, uh, 0.5 copper equivalent. Um, earlier, we drilled hole 221 last year. That also hit over a kilometer of close to 0.4 copper equivalent. And we're currently got three rigs drilling on a 200 meter grid. So this is a big anomaly and we're doing big step outs. And um, the fact that we're adding a fourth rig, I think should be a good indication to people that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're happy with what we're seeing. Um, and how long does it uh, take to drill a 1200 meter hole? Um, well, we've had some production issues. We just recently had a, uh, we hired a, a drill specialist uh, who had lots of experience working uh, in the high Andes uh, before he retired from Barrick. And he's been really helpful. And we've now starting to get our, our daily penetration rates up to where they should be. Um, and so a drill hole of 1,200 meters should take somewhere between four and six weeks to drill. Okay, so so your so your new your new rig should get a one hole completed. We're hoping that we might get two, right? Um, yeah. If the production rate is is good, then we might get two holes in. But you know, that's that's the optimistic view. And as explorationists, we're always. We're always optimistic, so. Uh, we're, we're exploration geologists, so we have to be optimistic. Yeah, um, exactly. And um, good, so kind of, where does that take us in terms of budget and um, you know, how much cash have you got on hand? I, I, know, I know you've got this extraordinary shareholder register, so um, you know, perhaps put that in context. Yeah, um, in terms of like how much cash, I mean, I'm the technical guy, so I sorry. just spend it. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how much is in the bank. Okay, <laughs> sorry, sorry, it was the wrong question. Yeah, but 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 to put it into a little bit of perspective here, I mean, the fact that we're, you know, the hole 223 was a very, very encouraging result. I mean, that hole was drilled, just to put it in a bit of context here, that hole, which hit like 1,200 meters, a 0.5% uh, copper equivalent, that was drilled 700 meters from one other hole and 500 meters from another hole. And so you can see... That, that that's those are huge step outs okay and um well that's got people excited and and so we um because of that you know we have a pretty solid shareholder registry as you mentioned we have route one who owns a significant percent they're a fund of university endowment money out of san francisco uh they came in on us early in antares days 
uh, did very well when we monetized that by selling it the first quantum mineral, and they've followed us all the way along. So they've always been a very uh, uh, solid, uh, aligned with share, aligned with management uh, shareholder. Uh, we also obviously are earning into this project from Sabanier Stillwater, who were the owners of the project, and um, and so they're on the share registry as well. And then we've got uh, just recently last year, uh, South 32 out of Australia, large Australian uh, mining company came in for a 9.9 .9 equity interest as well. And you can imagine that, you know, they all have their um, rights to maintain their percentage ownership. So any kind of, um, so between those three big partners, management, we effectively own about 75% of the company. So it's a pretty tight share registry which has its benefits and its its yeah. negative aspects right yeah. so yeah yeah um, i mean the, there are the 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 negative let's focus on the negative now you know because you've, you've got to um um at least balance things out um the negative is that a tight shareholder registers these low liquidity but also when you've got big strategics in there perhaps not route one because they're a fund but um when you have industry players in there, it can um, discourage other industry players coming in. I mean, because your 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 stated uh, trajectory is to produce something which is the most beautiful girl in the lineup, or the you know, I, th I think that was the phrase the phrase you used. But if you've got strategics on board, surely that um, makes it. Yeah, but the way we've well, the way we because we know we don't we don't. We don't want to give anybody any particular advantage. I mean, our, our we want to obviously for our shareholders um, monetize the asset at for the best value of of all concerned. And so, we specifically don't give you know people don't have first rights of refusals or anything like that. So, so they're they're they have a, they're on the share registry, but they got to compete just like anybody else would. And so. Um, and so, you know, we're not too worried about that. Um, uh, so, you know, we'll see, but, uh, I'm not concerned. We, we, I can't say too much, but let, suffice it to say there are other companies that are not on the share registry that are there. We're on their radar. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get that entirely because, um, um, you know, when I walk around PDAC, I speak to all of the big companies and they're all interested in what you're up to. They're all interested in um, kind of seeing um, the progress. So let's go back to the technical. Um, thank you for um, um, uh, touching on the strategic. Get me, get me out of my comfort zone. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, but let, let's go back to the technical. Um, so if you're going to be drilling until the end of June... Um, is that right? No, probably the end of May. Like, probably, probably to the beginning of June. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. and then it's kind of like wait and see. But if one big snowstorm could change the whole the whole equation. So presumably, we'll be getting kind of ongoing updates. Um, and then once you finish drilling, there's another couple of months of assay data and, and and logs coming out. What's your plan for the second half of the year? Uh well, we'll be right away um, putting. You know, we'll be evaluating those results. Um, and then decide whether, you know, have we done enough drilling in order to that warrants a interim resource update, or do we need to do more drilling starting in the new field campaign? And typically the new field campaign will start in, we'll start to mobilize people to get up to our camp and get it, the roads cleaned 
somewhere towards the end of September, beginning of October, and hopefully be starting to drill no later than the first part of November, hopefully sooner. Depends on the on the snowpack over the winter. So it's it's not that long of a shutdown period. It's, you know, three, maybe four months. That gives us time to kind of get the results back, see where we are. Um, obviously, moving forward, the, the objective here is to at some point uh, go to a PEA so that we can, you know, start to show people what potential the, you know, the economics of, of this project would look like. But we're also very cognizant of not doing that just to do it. We want to make sure that when we do it, it's going to put the project in the best light. And that doesn't mean necessarily that we're trying to make it, you know, look as great as possible. What we're trying to make sure is, is that when we put something forward, we're comfortable standing behind it. And also that it's something that really, truly reflects what we think is possible at the project. Because again, we're not just catering to the market. We're catering to potential suitors that might be interested. And, and as you know, Merlin, you've been around, you know, the guys that work in the big companies, um, they're not stupid people. And so, you know, they can see through um, when you're using numbers or, 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 or trying to massage it to make it look like a, a three, look like an eight. And so... Um, so we're we're very cognizant of that, right? So and and we've got reput, you know, we're we we pride ourselves on being transparent, reputable. I think technically very sound group, and you know, reputations are things that take careers to build and only seconds to destroy. And you know, we're very cognizant of wanting to maintain our reputations as as good, honest players in this in this segment of the mining business, which has had its history of not having necessarily honest and reputable people involved with some companies, right? So, Well, onwards and upwards with the good actors in the industry. Um, I look forward to seeing the ongoing progress on the drilling. Um, Argentina is cooking, cooking with gas at the moment. Um, personally, I would still like more clarity on how to get money out of Argentina. Um, I, I, you know, despite seeing all of that activity, it's not the easiest uh, jurisdiction. Um, any, any final comments on, on Argentina? I, I can't say, I can't say too much, but, uh, you know, we obviously are pretty plugged in with all of that side of things. And obviously those are concerns of ours as well. And all I can say, and I'm not directly involved with this stuff. We have other people in our group that are much better at it than I am. Um, but we are, there are a lot of discussions going on, both at provincial level and federal level. Uh, I think Argentina realizes that mining is something that has to be uh, uh, one of the principal uh, legs of, a, of a probably several legs that they need to build their economy on. And, they, and I think it's been made very clear to them, some of these uh, issues, that people are just not going to invest you know, multi-billion dollars if, if, if there's no, you know, security in, in getting money out or, or maintaining, you know, uh, you know, you'd imagine a mine that's got 30, 40, 50 years. And, and these big projects that we're talking about in San Juan province, these are not your typical gold project where, you know, it lasts maybe 10 years and it's game over. These are multi-generational mines that potentially could go for 50 70, 100 years. 
Uh, and so it's very important that these these government officials realize that that's what we're we're talking about here. This could be something very beneficial for multiple generations of uh, of their of their inhabitants. Agreed. And you've got a fantastic example in your neighbours just to the west. You know, they those mines have been, you know, some of them have been running since the nineteenth century, and these are multi generation. They're transformative. Uh, investments for a country you know I'm a, I'm a great believer in that but listen we better wrap it up Kevin thank you it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you um, and learning more about uh, Altar and Aldebaran um, I just all it's left for me to do is to wish you good luck with the rest of the year well thanks uh, Merlin for the invitation to talk to you and uh, hopefully we didn't get mired too deep into the weeds and uh, uh, maybe a, a little bit heavy on the geometallurgy but uh, but I, I think it's important I've, the final thing I would say to investors is wh- whether you invest in us or you look at other companies is really take a look at who's on their technical team. And first of all, do they have a technical team? And then who's on it and what are they doing? Because at the end of the day, rocks and the technical part are the foundation of what we do and all the subsequent steps in our mining cycle and mining business. And I would recommend people, if they can, uh, go to our website and visit. We've got a lot of informational uh, videos and webinars on there. Uh, and like I said, I've always tried to make my uh, my my webinars uh, part informative about what we're doing as a company, but also part educational for uh, investors who quite often are not technical people. Great. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks.